Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, and today I'd like to welcome Richard Brown to the podcast. Richard is a core faculty member in the Contemplative Education Program, and it's an honor to have him with us today to share his knowledge. Thanks for coming in. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to do this. Awesome. Anything else you'd like to share about yourself? Well, I've always been passionate about teaching, Mm -hmm. you know, ever since I was I think in eighth grade, when a teacher um, made me feel like I was worthwhile, my thoughts were valuable. Mm. And I thought, if he can do that for me, I want to be able to do that for other people. So that's always been what I've wanted to do and have done. So uh, I was fortunate enough to be a student of Naropa's founder and Mm. also to teach in kindergarten through 12th grade school in the 1980s here in Boulder, which was a sister school of Naropa. So I had the experience of working, bringing contemplative teaching to students at that point. And that was so inspiring that I decided that the world needed uh, teachers who could uh, teach in this way. So that's when Mm -hmm. we got started with the uh, education program at Naropa in 1990. Oh, wow. Very inspiring. Yeah. We all had a moment where we've had a teacher who's inspired us a little bit more than usual and has created a doorway or a path for somewhere for us to go. And, and yours seemed to come in eighth grade with through a certain teacher. Yeah, and I was fortunate throughout my educational career to have teachers that inspired me in different ways. Yeah. You know, some of them were very heartfelt people and some of them were extremely intellectual yeah. And, uh, you know, they appealed in different ways, and mm. that, that was wonderful. Yeah, awesome. It's just collecting as we go. Right. Cool. So you have a little topic that we're going to talk about. What would that be today? Uh, yeah, I thought I'd talk about contemplative teaching mm-hmm. and uh, try to give some idea of, of what contemplative is mm-hmm. and then give an example of a technique that works really well for integrating contemplative teaching into ordinary classroom situations. Mm -hmm. So the word contemplate is a word that's in common usage. You know, Mm -hmm. I need to contemplate this. And it's usually meant a kind of reflection that I'm going to take my time and figure this out. I'm not going to just jump right into it. And it's interesting to look at the origins of that word. The Greeks felt that it meant creating a space, actual physical space in which the sacred hmm. could arise. Interesting. Um, so they would make, you know, lay out the the boundaries of a temple. Wow. Contemplate. Huh. That was creating the that kind of boundary. Yeah. It's a container. Yeah. To exactly. Contemplate. Yeah. And Christian mystics, the contemplation was not what we think of as contemplation 
so much as creating a space, an opportunity, not to think about something, mm. but allowing the mind to dwell in a kind of open, non-dual space where yeah. non-thought is arising. So that was much more mystical, but also both of those have relationships to what we're developing at Naropa in terms of contemplative practices mm -hmm. and contemplative pedagogy, you know, yeah. how we teach. Yeah. So at Naropa, the notion of contemplative education is about drawing out the full richness of the student mm -hmm. and the teacher yeah. in the learning process and utilizing different contemplative practices such as mindfulness and awareness and compassion and contemplation mm -hmm. to draw out the wisdom of the various dimensions of who we are as human beings. Yeah. So it's not just about thinking. Most mm -hmm. conventional education trains us to be thinkers and doers, yeah. which is very important. Mm -hmm. But there's a, an emphasis in contemplative education about supplementing our thinking process mm. with the wisdom of our emotional life, the wisdom of our sensory experience, the wisdom of our bodily experience, the, yeah. the wisdom of the environment in which we're learning. All these factors go together to make a kind of wholeness of learning that is what it, in my view anyway, it's all about creating a richness, which that richness is permeated by that space, that mm. Christian mystical non-dual space. Yeah. So that all these factors of how we think, how we feel, are not just crammed all together, yeah. but there's room for them to move and affect each other. Mm. So the way we think can be enriched by our feelings. Yeah. The way we move can be affected by the environment that we're in. Mm -hmm. You know, so that there's this interplay of these elements. And of course you add more and more dimensions, the other people that you're learning with, yeah. the issues in the world, yeah. you know, and it gets very, very rich, but it's really starting from the inside so that we start to untangle this web which has been very tightly made in our conventional mm. education so that a lot of times we don't know we're thinking we just think habitually yeah uh, we don't know we're feeling we don't even account for feeling because it's not allowed in schools you know? yeah like keep that over there right we got some education to learn right and of course all this takes enormous discipline mm -hmm to bring these various dimensions of who we are mm. into a learning process without it getting chaotic. Yeah. So that we're bringing our emotions in in a very disciplined kind of way so that you know they're not running roughshod over our thinking, but they're actually supplementing it. So there are all these practices <laughs> which are yeah. really quite wonderful and quite personally challenging in order to get to this state of liberated learning, you could say. Interesting. Why do you think they're challenging? 
I think it's because we've ignored them, you know. Yeah. We, and we've gotten them so intertwined, mm-hmm. you know. For example, if you're uh, reading a book by someone who's very different from you, mm-hmm. and you're reading these ideas, you have uh, an emotional response to that difference. Yeah. You might reject it. And th- mm-hmm. that emotional response might trigger ideas that you've learned. Well, this person doesn't know what they're talking about, you know. Yeah. Whatever it is, the script is, mm-hmm. the emotions and the thoughts, while we're reading something which is challenging because it's different, yeah. become a kind of defense mechanism to allow us mm-hmm. to preserve our own identity we're talking about identity here as something which is kind of narrow, you know, mm-hmm. which our narrow identity, which keeps us from expanding and growing and learning new perspectives. So, mm. so when we read something like that, you know, we automatically shut ourselves off from empathy, from understanding, from inclusion, because of the habitual ways that we've been brought up and that we've been educated. Yeah, it's interesting when you are confronted with something that doesn't resonate fully with you and you're having to almost step into a different mindset that you're not normally used to or you you feel so challenged that you push it away. Most of us, when we feel challenged, that's not for us. You know, we're not willing to sit with the challenge. So I see contemplative education in such a way that we're... It allows us to be okay when things are not working out, whether it be the education or whether it be information or stories or just different ideas. And we can sit with those and be like, I'm okay with this. Or at least figure it out and and at least ask yourself, like, why am I not okay with this? Mm -hmm. Ask yourself the question other than like, it's external to you. It's, you can figure it out internally as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a place you can start, and uh, then from there you can maybe actually ask the question out loud. Mm, you know, yeah, I don't understand this. This is foreign to me. Yeah, help me understand. But instead of being an aggressive rejection, mm. it becomes curiosity. Yeah. Yes. So that's part of the inner development in contemplative learning is to be able to free up these natural parts of ourselves, our emotions, mm-hmm. our thinking, our bodily sensations, our ability to move and yeah. interact and all the rest of it. Liberating those so that we can learn more directly from our experience and we can have a more personal relationship with what we're learning because it's not just in the intellect. Yeah. It's our whole being. Mm-hmm. So we bring in our personal experiences, our doubts, mm-hmm. our uh, questions about things. So it's about bringing it in and making it meaningful to us just as we are. And we don't have to pretend to be you know, good little learners. We can be confused. And <laughs> if we share yeah. that, then that's the starting point. So one of the things that makes contemplative education, I think, incredibly valuable is that these processes that we've just been discussing Mm -hmm. apply to the teacher as much as to the learner. So that the teacher is on that same journey of self-discovery, of being 
mm-hmm. fresh and open in the moment of regarding students and their ideas and the material they're studying, even though they've maybe encountered it before, but coming at it in a fresh new way yeah. and seeing what the insights and questions are in that moment. Mm-hmm. So one of the main techniques is pausing in the middle of whatever's going on. Parker Palmer talks about it Mm. in class discussion in his book, The Courage to Teach, which is an amazing book. When the energy of the class gets so riled up and emotions are going strong (laughs) and ideas are flying left and right and nobody can process anything because it's all (laughs) so dynamic, he he stops everything mm. and he just has the class pause and then resume. And of course, Thich Nhat Hanh uses the same technique with his mindfulness bell, yeah. which uh, is rung during discussions every 15 minutes or so. And when you hear the bell, you everyone mm. just stops. And then when the sound of the bell is dissipated, everyone begins again. Now, One of the techniques that we really have used to great effectiveness in the contemplative education department is a technique which was developed in the 1970s after a lot of research and goes by various names, but wait time is one of the common names and it's taught, wait time is taught as a pedagogy to most school teachers. And the basic practice is when you, a teacher is conducting a discussion, mm-hmm. they'll pose a, an issue or a question f- for discussion, yeah. and students respond. And typically they raise their hands and mm. there's a response. Now, with wait time, the instruction for the teacher is not to call on somebody right away but to wait for at least three seconds mm-hmm. before you call on someone. Yeah. And that has a number of effects that have been studied. The, for the students, what they found is that when there's that pause and students have a little bit longer to reflect before they answer, the, the length and accuracy of the students' responses increases. The number of, I don't know, responses goes down. There are more volunteered and appropriate responses by larger numbers of students. So more students are participating when they're given more time before they have to answer. And academic achievement of scores go up. Now, the teacher's behavior also changes, which is really nice because this technique, you know, is about teacher behavior and student behavior, which is very contemplative because we're all on this journey together. Teachers, they've noticed in their studies, their questioning strategies tend to be more varied and flexible because they're pausing. And oftentimes they're pausing becomes a part of their general approach so that even before they ask the question, there's a pause. So they're thinking, okay, rather than, you know, what my lesson plan says I'm supposed to ask, I, uh, I'll ask it a little bit more freshly, Mm -hmm. a little bit more in this moment. Yeah. 
teachers, when they're asking these questions, their questions are more varied and there's less length in their questions. <laughs> you know, they're, they're more precise. And they be more likely to follow up with additional questions that require a higher level of thinking on the part of the students. So this is, these are some of the results from uh, just good teaching. You know, mm -hmm. this is not contemplative. So what does contemplative practice add to this? Because it, we noticed right away that there was a tremendous uh, richness here because of what we were talking about earlier in terms of mm -hmm. uh, being able to bring in a greater richness. Now, part of the problem is with this conventional approach to wait time is that teachers don't want to wait three seconds. Mm. They're uncomfortable with three seconds of silence. Yeah, I've, I was thinking that because <laughs> when you're talking about Thich Nhat ringing the bell or the teachers taking a moment, our society is so used to like hit the buzzer as quick as you can so you can answer first. You're the one in front. And waiting has this availability to think a little bit longer to, I don't know, there's some weirdness with like allowing us to think. That's what our brains do. And we, when you can integrate the thinking and the contemplativeness of how you feel about the question that was just proposed, then you can formulate a better answer almost. In three seconds, isn't that long? One, two, three. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of times too, teachers feel like they've got a lot of material to cover and they rush through the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a whole other topic. But uh, Call that rush time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So... What happens when contemplative teachers practice this? And we use this technique with our students. We have them actually practice in their classrooms that, where they're teaching or student teaching or whatever. Part of it is that they practice being present in their bodies during that three-second wait. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, teachers who aren't given this kind of training mm -hmm. about embodied presence tend to look nervous. You know, they're waiting for the three seconds. There's a kind of awkwardness, a blankness, yeah. an impatience. Mm -hmm. But contemplative teachers are taught to just stand there, just be present, <laughs> make connection with the students, yeah. but be confident in their stillness. Mm -hmm. And so that creates a kind of calmness with the students yeah. where they learn to reflect. They learn to dig deeper. And that's why the number of responses and everything like that that you get conventionally takes on a deeper level when the teacher's presence is there. There's also, uh, in the teacher's presence in silence, there's the opportunity for the teacher to empathize with the students, to actually mm -hmm. make a connection with them, mm -hmm. to have that empty moment when they're just there noticing the students, apart from the question itself, just that time to make that deep personal connection, even though it's unspoken. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's also a time for the teacher to check in with themselves. Mm. You know, what are my expectations for students' answers to this questions? You mm. know, can I relax those a little bit? Yeah. 
am I feeling a lot of anxiety because we're running late in class? Mm -hmm. You know, can I come to the present moment, let a little bit of that go? Yeah. You know, so it's a, a mini practice time for teachers and a time to become more authentic in their discussion with the students because of that checking in and mm -hmm. bringing more of themselves to that moment. Yeah. So, you know, the other part is that you really have to prepare the students for, for this kind of thing, you know, because mm -hmm. the students are used to being competitive and mm -hmm. being the first one and the best one, or they're used to, uh, you know, I can never think that quickly, so I'm not even going to bother. Yeah. Know? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you're giving the students a chance to fully participate mm. from wherever they are. And if you actually talk about this with the students, mm -hmm. you know, how many of you always raise your hand the first moment, even though you haven't completely formulated the answer, but you know you can think well on your feet, so you're going to do it. And you, yeah. you know, you're excited about learning and all this. And how many of you just, you know, you can't do it. I can't do this stuff, you know. Yeah. I, I'm a bad student, <laughs> you know. And uh, it's, it's interesting to bring in these different learning styles of students into the wholeness of the picture. Because some students, just because of the way their minds work, it takes them longer to come up with, with answers. Yeah. And oftentimes those answers are, have a more profound quality. Mm -hmm. They're maybe a little bit off the topic, perhaps, mm. but they bring in a dimension that's real. Yeah. You know, you're actually inviting the students who are there to, to come from where they are to yeah. bring themselves to the material, to the discussion. So it becomes a very rich, rich situation mm -hmm. uh, when the students are included in the intention of this practice. So they begin to, instead of being so competitive, begin to appreciate what other students have to offer if it's handled well. Yeah, interesting to think too, when I was in school, high school, um, back in California, I was one of those students where it would take me a little bit of time to think of the answer, but most of the time I would kind of know what's going on, and I wouldn't raise my hand because I'm like, someone else will answer it. Didn't know what was going on, but I wouldn't want to answer it because other people can probably get there faster, so, you know, we'll just let them handle it because they're good. At, that's That's their job. So that's really interesting to think. I've never thought of it like that. Like, oh, I, I was one of those students that would just kind of hang back and, oh, I know what's going on, but you got this. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it changes the whole dynamic of the classroom when you can do this. Mm -hmm. And it does take more time mm. to do it this way. Yeah. And it, again, that points to a difference in contemplative education, I think. What's more important? You know, mm -hmm. covering things quickly and somewhat superficially mm -hmm. or allowing there to be greater depth and personal connection yeah. with the material. Yeah. And I've also noticed in the contemplative situation of being in a classroom is the other students really do want to hear what everyone else has to say because they know there is richness within those answers. So everyone is holding a container for each other and, and wanting to hear from everyone else. And so there is an opportunity for everyone to speak up and 
speak from their truth and say what they need to say with any topic that is arising. Right. Yeah. So I just wanted to read one personal experience from, ah, please from do. a eighth grade, or it was a middle school teacher from New Mexico who was in our program. She, mm-hmm. she wrote, I noticed other timid voices appeared around the topic, student voices. There was more space in the discussion, more room for other people in the class. I felt a little lighter, a little freer, an immense gratitude for my willingness to just relax a little. Nice. Yeah. And what program was that that she was in? She was in the Masters of Contemplative Education. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like there is something here, and it works. Yes. Feeling lighter, like feeling lighter in a classroom, wouldn't we all want to feel that? Not this heavy rushing or maybe even disconnected. Like everyone, it's it's hard to be disconnected in a classroom when everyone is engaging. Yes. Naropa's founder called it the intersection of discipline and delight. Mm, that sounds yummy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's all very disciplined, but there's that lightness. There's that yeah. freedom in which other timid voices can appear. Cool. Well, I have a question for you. Has there been a class, like a full class, or an entire semester where you're teaching and the dynamic is so different and vast that you almost have to change how you teach? Like, have you stepped into a classroom and like, wow, this classroom, these, these kids feel different. I might have to change what I'm doing. And you, you know, you have this model you're walking into and you're like, okay, this might not work. I have to change it right now. Or have you ever been like taken aback? Like, wow, these students are really challenging me in a good way and instantly shift how you show up as a teacher. Yeah. I mean, it should happen all the time, you know, uh-huh. on a greater or lesser level. Okay. Uh, because you are dealing with real human beings in this moment. Yeah. And the material should be alive and it should be flexible enough so that you can tailor it to what's actually happening. I'm sure most teachers confront some like heavy energy of this is what I'm doing. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. And there are many ways to approach that, but yeah. you know, they just, what comes up in the moment, you know, and you have to trust that, you know, sometimes mm. in those situations, I'll, I'll ask a question or try mm. to draw out somebody's experience or something like that. Yeah. But you know, you have to trust your, your instincts. Yeah. So when we talk about whole education or contemplative education, we factor in feelings, we factor in emotions how does emotion and feeling inform the information in which we're learning different from just having information in your brain? It seems as though we are informing the body, the emotion, the state of being, and and the mind. Why is that important compared to just the information held within the mind? Well, ultimately, there's no difference between what happens cognitively and what happens emotionally they're interrelated mm-hmm. okay you know if you're walking down the path and you perceive something mm-hmm. you have an emotional response to that it may be very subtle it may be very strong yeah 
it's the same when you encounter any kind of educational situation. You're reading a material, you're having a discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you like what somebody says, you don't like it, you have uh, you know, a neutral experience of it, but there's some kind of emotional response that's there. Mm -hmm. And that often is seen as problematic. You know, we should just look at the facts, you know. Yeah. And our personal, especially emotional response mm -hmm. is just muddies up the water. So there's, again, this discipline about how to work with emotions, yeah. which is very important in this process. It's not just about, well, I hate this stuff, you know. <laughs> I mean, you might start there, but if you learn contemplative practice, you're feeling that I hate this stuff, but you pause before you share it. So it's modulated a little bit. Yeah. And, and then it becomes, okay, either the teacher or yourself, what is it about this that you hate? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's your experience from the past. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a purely an idea Maybe it's that you read something which is very different than this. You know, it could be a lot yeah. of things, but then it becomes rather than just, okay, here's what the author says. I'm going to learn it. I have included my emotional responses to that in a way that it becomes personal to me. Yeah. It becomes part of my relationship with the material. So as I'm reading this, there are parts of it that really grabbed me. You know, mm. I really like this stuff. Yeah. Or I can't stand this stuff. Yeah. But all that's valuable. All mm. that's part of our response to this. Mm -hmm. And if we explore that, if we dig into that, then we make real connection with the material we're learning. And it stays with us in mm. a very personal way rather than just being something objective and outside of ourselves. Yeah. Wow. So much to be known here. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's our time, and it was really a pleasure to speak with you, and uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you. That was Richard Brown on our podcast. He is a core faculty member in the contemplative education, and it was a pleasure speaking with him. So thank you again. Thank you. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.